Under the Helmet. You'll do your thing, all right? Don't be nervous, okay? The show that looks at long-term player value in fantasy football. It's the moment right here. We're going to have to decide what, what type of team we want to be. Building Dynasties each and every week. I don't even know your name. What's your name? Chad Parsons. I'm telling you, man, you're leading the league in hydration. I got a Dynasty team reaping rewards for the next decade. Katie Flower. You may beat me, but you will not outwork me. Tim Torch. There's only one winner, Chad. Find their written and premium audio content at uthdynasty.com. Playing it safe in Dynasty means you're going to lose. Stop talking about it, man. Let's get this going right now. Welcome to Under the Helmet, looking at some long-term player value in fantasy football. I'm your host, Chad Parsons. Got Katie Flower here, official show of UTHDynasty.com. And we're about halfway through fantasy season, and we're going through each skill position. Uh, We started last week with quarterback, looking at our tough-to-value, tough-to-place, tough-to-rank players. And so we've been talking through almost being a, a therapist to the other with our selected players talking through the profiles, where we stand, where we're going, and what makes them difficult. So we talked about quarterback last week, if you want to go back and listen to some of those. And uh, Katie, we got four interesting running backs, as is the goal of the exercise here, uh, that kick us off with our first one here. On uh, Who do you find your own teams, other teams, trading, lineups, all that stuff, difficult at this point in time? Well, I'll start with a guy that is difficult to rank because of injury, and that would be Cam Akers. Um, The Achilles for a running back is very, very tough to overcome, as you know. But his uh, prognosis, or at least his training that you see on Twitter, he's already jogging. I mean, he's, he's looking like he's way far more advanced than most people are at this stage so do you value him like an RB1, like you think that he was going to be before the injury? Do you think he's going to come back? Um, I was able to buy him for a second right after the injury happened. I figured, okay, I'm going to take the chance that he will be back, at least even if he's partial what he was, that'll be more than most running backs. Then you also now have the question, Daryl Henderson's doing so well, not so much Sony Michelle, but you know, will they split time? And then how much will they split time? And is Cam Akers ever going to really be that bell cow back anymore? Those are all my questions. And if I were pursuing him and I'm not a contender this year, like, is he still worth a second or is he worth even less than that? Like, how do you value an injured player that has such a a severe injury like that? Yeah, I think you hit on the two big parts. You have situational, which obviously looks different than back when he sustained the injury. And then with Daryl Henderson looking better, right? I mean, he's playing his best ball, taking full advantage of the opportunity. Now, does he finish the season healthy, even if he gets dinged up? Does he avoid a significant injury that might impact him the following season? Michelle's a non-factor for our conversations here. He's a free agent anyway. Um, So it comes down to those two guys. And like you said, Achilles for running back, that combination is still really the trickiest one of this entire gamut of injury and position uh, of where we sit. So that those two things are the biggest unknowns. Is this going to be injury and you lost your job? And the interesting part too, that, that I always found that Akers going back to the spring was overcooked. And I was one of the biggest fans out there of Cam Akers, the prospect, and I drafted him over Everett Hilaire, which was considered... No one does that, you know, getting, getting hemmed in at 102. Taylor goes, 
do I take my guy, you know, or, you know, or do I take ADP, you know, and take Edwards Hilaire and then try to maneuver beyond that took acres. Again, I was happy with it. And I, uh, just because I believed in the player more than Edwards Hilaire and with acres, he didn't do enough. Like a lot of these historical things now, yes, he took over the job late. He had some of those bigger games, but on aggregate for his rookie season, he didn't have a lot of the indicators of a high end Taylor Swift type outcome for the the total of his career. And that was the big concerning part I had is that he didn't do enough. He was drifting out. And I think the running back fifties, when you look at the aggregate for the, for the season. So it was very concentrated late into some of these moments, some of these game moments for him. And that was one of my bigger things is like, well, he's being valued like that in the top eight to 10 of the position. It feels overcooked. Now, again, things change with the injury. So you will never know if that was right or wrong. But, um, but yeah, the Achilles and running back, and I just we don't have good data points on this to say we should have super confidence. We should be super skeptical. You know, to say Marlon Mack is being a good litmus, litmus test one way or another really isn't. He's not playing. He's not playing. Like you got to go and like sift through because he's num- running back three. There's talk that he might be traded. Uh, you know, I, I don't think he is or was traded today. So I mean, the point is we don't know if he's actually capable of seeing a good workload. How does he really look? Because it's been so sparse. So we still don't have that. And medical getting better and all these things. But I think the changing of like so you have the the risk of is he not the same? And the same is what because we really didn't see it for a long duration. And then the other part is Daryl Henderson. He's there next year. Oh, he's there. And is that going to be a bigger split than some of the bell cow games we saw from Akers last year? Yeah. And, you know, we did see uh, a stud in college. He had a horrible offensive line in college. He made a lot happen with very little. Um, So I have very little doubt that if he hadn't sustained the injury that he could have, and like you said, not necessarily in that same regard as Jonathan Taylor or DeAndre Swift, but pretty much like in that next tier behind them. Um, but right now, I think you've got him ranked quite a bit lower than DLF has him. So I think there's still a buy window. My question is, what would you buy him for? Like, well, do you I think, think a second? I think you do. I think, I think you did the smart thing, and I, and I think the if you want to sell for a first. The, the buy sell lens. And I remember going back when the injury occurred that kind of talking through scenarios, it was, if you want to get out of this business, you know, get a first. And if you're trying to buy right now for a second, and it was a pretty clear divided line. I'm sure we had dialogue about it. You were able to buy for a second. Now I had some contending teams where I included him in deals that I was able to get some really nice contending pieces. So he was very much a now, you know, when the injury occurred, you have less of a divide in the league. And if you still have them now, I mean, this is the type of player that can blend a uh, contending and rebuilding or not contending uh, deal that makes sense for both teams because you have an injured and not productive player. And the assumption would be that you're getting uh, productive players and you can fill holes uh, in that. Who do you got? Okay. Uh, did you have any other clarity on on trades, especially now that we're in season and beyond you know, I, the, the stuff well, that you bought? I haven't seen any trades lately, but this is the time of season where teams know where they stand on this season. And yeah. if you have Cam Akers and you're a non-contender, I would still continue to hold them. If you're a contender 
and you've got Cam Akers, and you can turn him into something that you can use this year. I guess the gauge that I, I would consider him late first, early second type value in a trade. But okay. again, trying to get, trying to get a still a dynasty running back, you don't want to just go with a uh, a patch fit like. I wouldn't trade him straight up for Jeremy McNichols right now or anybody (laughs) like that, but you can, I would imagine you could see those kind of things. I've seen crazier things happen. Yeah. Uh, Two, I wanted to point out in some recent deals last uh, couple weeks is one was uh, Cam Akers and Elijah Moore. So again, more longer range pieces for DJ Moore. So obviously someone you can plug and play now. Uh, So that's shifting over to wide receiver. What are your thoughts on that? Is that high enough up the hierarchy for wide receiver? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think that's a bad trade for either side. And I think that the Cam Akers side has more upside if he yeah. can overcome the injury, but that's a big if. And then again, contending versus uh, rebuilding, we have Akers and LaVisca Chenault for Aaron Jones. And yeah, again, I can I can see where that's a pretty even trade also. Okay. Yeah. And again, Aaron Jones, he's locked in for next year. Will Aaron Rodgers be locked in? Uh, AJ Dillon's going to be there, but we've seen the split where Aaron Jones is still going to eat. So, so he's locked in on that offense now quarterback and does it see a decline? There's some, some questions, but not questions in regards to where he'll be. And it does seem like he'll be the one a over, over Dillon until something were to change there. All right. uh, So my first one here is going to be Miles Sanders. Um, My big divide with Miles Sanders is between I've looked, I've watched him when he got out of the shadow of Sequan Barkley there at Penn State. He was a five-star guy. He finally was freed, and you saw a dynamic player. He didn't have a huge sample size. He had that basically one year as the clear-cut starter, stayed for his senior year at Penn State. He comes out early round two pick, and he was one that I continued to say, look at this guy, dual threat. I mean, could we see him do some of the receiving stuff we see from Aaron Jones and some of these other uh, running backs? I believe the answer is yes. And yet we have seen the Eagles, and again, they must have their reasons, but he has not really been used like a true, uh, well, there's differing terms, but a workhorse, if you will, that doesn't truly exist in today's NFL by a lot of standards, but a, a true unquestioned feature back. You know, not heavily rotated with one to two other players on given weeks. And this year has been an absolute S show for relative terms. I mean, he's in the running back 30s in in points per game. And so he's one that his peak is like running back 20-ish for for now, for, for his career. There's been some later hits, but the historics on me are, it's getting a little late in the game to expect some giant massive breakout. I really want him in a lot of ways to not be with the Eagles anymore, but now you're getting, you know, next off season, you're going to have age start to creep into the equation a lot more than giving him passes early on, but, and he's unusable now. Uh, it's just, and then you see last week where they play the lions, they get positive game script for days. You see like 35, 40 touches for these running backs and like everyone having a heyday, you know, Jordan Howard out there getting multiple touches. I mean, and it's just like Miles Sanders has to be like, what is this crap? Like the what? Like the first game, I'm out, and this is what happens. So, like if I were him, I'd be frustrated. I I view him tape wise. I really like him, but obviously, looking at career arcs, looking at historical things, 
you can't be too rosy about a ceiling just coming out of the ether in 2022 plus. Yeah, you nailed it when you just said, I don't know what the Eagles are doing. And that's unfortunately, <laughs> I mean, that's what everybody's shaking their head. And I mean, he's not getting as many attempts or uh, receiving as he should. He is somebody that can receive out of the backfield. And now he's on IR. He And it, before he was on IR, he's RB44 in points per game in PPR, like eight yeah, point, averaging eight point, eight point something. And yet he's right up there with uh, Joe Mixon and Clyde Edwards-Alaire as like RB14, RB13 in the dynasty rankings. So you've got a you've got a guy that is completely underproducing. You can't really start him before his injury. And now that he's injured, he's still, you know, he'll be 25 in May, which is getting closer to the the peak of when a running back is actually uh, supposed to be good, but if he stays in Philadelphia, which he is, it's his last year of his contract next year. Right. I mean, contract, I just, right. Unless something basic major overhaul in Philadelphia this year, I don't see that happening for him. And it's just unfortunate because like you said, I mean, is he running out of time? Is he running out of time? Now, again, I, I think at a certain point you say not every player has to be truly insulated on your roster. But you say a 25-year-old running back, and if we're considering this year a wash for relative terms, I think the answer to that is yes. We're getting to next year. They've got uh, Gainwell. They've you know the, so who is already a pest. Now is there a new coaching staff? Is there something changing? They have a bunch of picks, but he's locked in with that team, and you've got a mobile quarterback that you know can help efficiency, but it can also squeeze those running backs for touchdowns. It can squeeze them for just total carries, total upside. And Jalen Hurts absolutely does that. But I cannot sit here and bail for on Miles Sanders for like a couple of seconds or bail on Sanders for a second and a player that really doesn't move the needle much at all. I have So unless I'm moving up, if I'm using Sanders to leapfrog to something else, it's Sanders plus something and I'm moving and getting an auto start player for my contending team. That's the only angle I would look to explore, and I don't know if that's going to be super, super commonplace in the uh, in the marketplace. Yeah, he's the kind of guy that you've just got to hold through this and hope that there's some kind of good news somewhere. I mean, just to see everybody was so excited for Kenneth Gainwell because he'd been looking fairly good. And they were like, oh, now that Miles Sanders is on IR, just go ahead and instant <laughs> right. start. RB3. And then Boston Scott. I mean, Boston Scott looked like a friggin' hero. And but but Gainwell, Gainwell was the guy playing in the fourth quarter when the game was over. He didn't play much at all for the first three quarters, which means he was in, in practice the running back three behind those guys. It was unbelievable that Gainwell goes from running back two to now, uh, you know, leapfrog, at least for that game, by, by a couple of the guys. But Gainwell is not going to be some 1A. Like, that's not, that's not him. But he is going to no. be a thorn. He's going to be a, one of those PPR thorns. And it's Sanders right now that, that would get the brunt of it. Um, man, yeah. And, and I'm just he, saying as far as Philadelphia and their oh, yeah. misusage of running backs in general, that's kind of proof that <laughs> proof Miles Sanders has no hope as long as he's in Philadelphia. And it's going to last one more year. And, and I guess yeah. it would be, you know, thinking that you're frozen into this roster spot, this is why it's good news to have a bunch of running backs, right? Because you're like, okay, I, I thought Sanders was going to be in the rotation for me, and now he's not at all. Well, let's just move on to the other guys. 
I'm sure you have some some backups that are currently playing and, and starting viable. You've got some players playing maybe better than you expected. So if you had five, six, seven, eight guys and Sanders now isn't one of your viable weekly options, you just put them on the side, put them on the back burner, put them in the freeze box and, and you move on to, to the other guys. Exactly. And it, it's the kind of position where I think too many people panic when they look at their rosters in May or whatever, and they think, I don't have any big name running backs, therefore my team stinks, and they try to fix the position too early. I mean, look at all the running backs that have gone down and just imagine all the draft capital you could have been burning this whole time and even still got running backs for going down. Uh, Derrick Henry, another good example, somebody that, you know, I've got him on one of my teams that's 8-0, but I have a bunch of other running backs and I should end up hopefully fine. But if I'd have been trying to just obtain a whole bunch of different running backs in that time, you can't panic, sell them. You can't panic, buy them. Those are the two worst positions to put yourself in as a dynasty owner, in my opinion. Well, and I think it's the riskiest position to do the two things you just said. You know, if you panic, buy, panic, sell at other positions, I think the, that, it, frankly, it could work out better uh, than running back because it's are you productive, are you healthy, and all those things, and then your value to you could be different. All right, uh, give us your uh, second one for this week at running back. My second one is Joe Mixon, and it's not because of his lack of production. He's been doing fine, actually, this year, and he's very close in production to what people most people have him ranked right in that RB12 to 14 range but he still has such a bad connotation that if I wanted to try to trade him for a 23 first or something else, you just can't. I haven't found anybody that's interested in Joe Mixon. And I don't know if you have or not, or if you've seen it, but he's kind of like the Rodney Dangerfield. And I don't know if it's just because of Cincinnati or, or what he's, he's producing, but yet he's not somebody of value to the community. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I've seen the same thing. And he's locked in contract-wise. I mean, we'll see about 2023, but 2022, he's going to be there. And he's going to be their cornerstone back. And I say cornerstone because they've really limited him with with PPR, right? I mean, it was like, oh, Geo's gone. Thank goodness. Well, they just find someone else to play the Geo sort of masquerading role. And that's been Samaj Pirine, who's been playing great ball. And for a guy that completely flamed out from early expectations, I remember in that draft class, you know, people drafted him, uh, you know, highly based on situation. And then he almost frittered out of the league. He's back and he's trimmed down. He's playing great. Uh, so I don't want to take anything away from Samaj P. Ryan, but Mixon's always been viewed as that workhorse potential. Oh, he fell in the draft for off field, but he's really a, like, he's always the one that you think of where it's like the, the, the moniker round one talent. Well, he didn't go round one. So to view him that way, it's probably a little bit of a mistake. And uh, the thing with him is the ceiling. And I think that's part of it, right? You know, we've gotten this whole way. He really hasn't had a mid to high running back one finish. He's been a lower running back one. He's been a high running back two. And that's sort of where he sat for a while now. And he's to the age point where, like you said, I mean, the audience is not, uh, you know, the receptive buying community of interest in, in trading is not going to be probably even half the league. And you said it's even less than that. And I wouldn't be surprised. I do think he's that type though, that you say I'm contending and 
you know, he may not be the most exciting guy I have. And I finally figured it out. It's the, he doesn't have acceleration. The first three, four steps, he doesn't accelerate like even guys of his size, Derrick Henry or Jonathan Taylor or some of these other bigger backs. They have better acceleration earlier. And that's why he doesn't break big runs. It's because the defense collapses on him and it takes him so long. He does have long speed, but man, you got to give him a runway of like 10, 15, 20 yards to actually get up to it. It's not five yards, and now he's creating his own angles. And that's really what it is. So I, I just wonder, and he's not you being used in the passing game enough. Like his routes run, his targets, it's just not there. And you're talking about guys like Derrick Henry, um, Edwards Alaire, Antonio Gibson are guys that are similar in terms of, okay, lead back, but they they just aren't at that involved in the passing game this year. And that's really the thing that unlocks. If he's going to have that limitation, and he's going to be limited by the giant big play factor, that that's what's different with Jonathan Taylor. He breaks big plays. So he's we want him to get more involved in the passing game than they currently use him. But when you take away the big plays and the big play potential, you have Joe Mixon, which is a guy that's going to aggregate, a guy that has a really good floor, but it's going to be hard for him to have a running back three or one type week. It's going to be hard for him to have a running back five season. So I think he has a lot of value in sort of mixing in, no pun intended, with your lineup of like, you know, anytime you want, you can put him in there and feel good about it. But to say he's going to put up 30-point games and really change the game for you, I think is not truly the case. And I think that in any particular year, you're going to look back and be like, yeah, you know, he's a positive contributor, but not a guy that categorically changed my season. Like some of these other guys can, even if they're currently not doing it. Uh, they certainly have that potential. That's really, I mean, I mean, for Mixon, it's, is the ceiling going to come? And I think in general, other than I was looking around, other than Marshawn Lynch, and and his was a, uh, a team change. Now that's not coming for Mixon, but correct me if I'm wrong, Katie. I mean, did, did Lynch have like a giant, I know he had some big runs, but he wasn't like a true, he was more of a grinder type, right? He wasn't uh, a true breakaway type runner and threat. Yeah, I mean, he he was more of a mow him down type of guy. Yeah, break break tackles. Yeah, Mixon, decent speed. And Mixon runs hard. Was, like I I I want to give him a lot of credit for what he's done. But I just thought we were going to see more dynamic PPR guy because I remember him coming out of college. I mean, out of Oklahoma, like he was a receiving maven. It was him and P Ryan. P Ryan didn't catch a lick. And now they're right. on the same team, ironically. Yeah. And P Ryan's the one catching passes. It's pretty hilarious. But um, but anyway, so I think those two things are the limitations. And I think as a contender, there's really nothing to do here, right? I mean, you have them, you hold them, you start them, nothing's changing. It's a pretty good offense. And he's locked in for next year and just keep plugging through. And if the market falls, like you said, it's not like you chase the the falling knife, right? And be like, I gotta sell, I gotta sell. Like you're throwing. You know, it's like sell Mortimer in the in the Trading yeah, Places right. movie. You know, like I don't think you do that on the on the stock floor. So I, I think it's like, well, you're saying he's not worth a 23 first and something else. Well, I'm just holding them and kind of be okay with that. But if you were a contender, what would you pay for him? Like, have you seen any trades to buy him as a contender? Him? Uh well, I yeah. think like I think an interesting one based on how this season is going is uh Antonio Gibson for Mixon. I know it's rare to see a one-on-one. But Mixon right. is certainly going to outproduce Gibson. He's a little Gibson's younger. We think there might be untapped potential there. But if we look back in two or three years, do we really look back and say Gibson was better than Mixon over that period of time? Obviously, Mixon might be 28 then and expiring, and Gibson may not be. 
but um, but I think that's a potential buying opportunity. In uh, in general, I see him pretty fairly priced. I mean, for example, if you need running back, one I saw was Kittle for Mixon and Fournette. People are still valuing Kittle really, really high. And I wonder if the targets are going to be there uh, for him. And if he's going to truly be a difference maker like he has at moments in his career, a difference maker in a position where if you're not a difference maker, you just kind of blend in. Um, so that to me is interesting for the now, but we don't really buy, need to buy running backs per se. Right. Um, but, but he would, or, or JK Dobbins for Mixon, you know, somewhere in that straight up neighborhood would be another now versus later sort of approximation. Gotcha. Um, all right. Let me see. I got one more and we've got uh, no. Yes. One more. <laughs> all screwed around. Here we go. You want to talk about how far off the start line are we? <laughs> Because it just started, yet it feels like we could write a book. Trey Sermon. Write a book about a player. Let's go all the way back to how exciting it was. The 49ers trade up. We got Trey Sermon. Got Trey Sermon. He's going to be right behind Raheem Mostert. Mostert goes out. And it's like, wheels up. This is going to be earlier and better than expected. And then Elijah Mitchell happens. Instantly. Week one. And then we actually get a little taste of Trey Sermon when Mitchell was out. And Sermon looked pretty good. But then, you know, Hasty was also out. Hasty's back. Mitchell's back. Sermon might as well go to church and listen to a sermon because he's not doing much on the football field. Yet, what we have here is a, you know, what are they doing with Brandon Ayuk? There's some questionable stuff. If you want to poke holes at, at, uh, uh, at uh, Kyle Shanahan, this is certainly the year. This is the two month period to certainly do things like that. So you've got a day two pedigree. You've got a guy that's unstartable, a guy that's ugly on your roster, it looks like right now. And you know, you sit here and say, what do I got? Well, the, the point is you're two months into a, a career. You're two months into a regular season career that has not really gotten started. So where do you stand on prospect pedigree versus optics of what actually is happening with a, a player, in this instance, Sermon, in front of you? Yeah, I don't think you're going to get anywhere near what you've already paid for him, even if you got him in a rookie draft. And that's the that's the thing where he may not ever get off tap dead center. You don't know. Um, I wasn't that crazy about this year's running back class outside of the top two to begin with. And then with the injuries, that really made everything change very quickly too. Um, you, you've got a hold and it's unfortunate. I don't, I don't see the usage getting any better in San Francisco, but he's tied there on his rookie contract. So you, you want to have him for depth. He, he's got the talent, but he's going to be a depth play at this point. I mean, it's amazing. Some of the things he's being traded for when people are just like, I'm out, you know, cause, right? cause they might view it as like, well, I don't want to be left with nothing the holding the bag theory. And so if you paid, you know, something in the back half of round one, and I guess it would have been the early part of round two, potentially in Superflex, that sort of price point, I mean, bailing for a second. And if, especially if it's a later second, I mean, that is, and, and frankly, on the other side of that, you know, that's a team that is strong, you know, if that's their own, that's their own second, that they're saying, well, I'm going to buy some pedigree that is certainly cheaper than it was before. And now they're giving you a pick to reset. Now you're resetting to a point where, let's face it, rarely do you get a look in the later second at a day two running back. 
rarely. You got to have like a James Conner type situation, a Madison type situation where they go to a completely blocked situation. That is when they might slip or even actually like a Darrington Evans, right? He was going early round three because again, going to a block situation, not a lot of people believed in Darrington Evans Evans anyway uh, when he had that, that approximation. But I'm personally not one that if you have them to sell for marginal, to sell for, like I mentioned, a later second, wouldn't really do that. Um, now buying interested, but again, that same sort of price point of like, if you're a strong team and you're sitting there and you're like, I don't know if I'm going to use my later second. Now, could you get a veteran that helps you in another position, creates that double lineup theory, insulates yourself potentially with an older player at another spot? You know, That is another way to use that pick. Uh, the other thing I would say with Sermon is, again, how sideways do things go? If Kyle Shanahan leaves, and this is a Shanahan issue, because if front office drafted players, and now you got the the coaches cooking, right? The coach is cooking. You bought the ingredients, and now, but he's locked in with with Mitchell. It's not like Mitchell is gone next year. He's a rookie as well, rookie contract. They're going to be paired together. Now, I'm not the biggest Mitchell fan. I think there's a lot to be desired in terms of how he's gotten the production he's he's had so far. So. I'm not going to get into that angle because they're separate entities, but they are tied together. Um, but I think if a coaching staff changes, that's when things could change for all applicable parties of allegiances or preferences or biases or doghouses or whatever situation it may be situationally going into the next year. What are your thoughts on the the later second sort of theory of it, you're getting less than you paid, obviously. You're getting out, but are you going to a zone where you're like, you're you're talking dart throws anyway. Would you be more apt to trade for Sermon it, it, with a late second or adapt? You know, take your team a different direction with like a stopgap in next year's class. And it's not a horrible class. I, I I see people on Twitter that overreact all the time, and it drives me crazy. You know, it's like just because somebody advises that the the 23 class is better than the 22 class, it doesn't mean that you're giving the picks away or that you, that we're advising you just dump them at whatever next year's class is solid. It's just, I don't think it's going to be as deep. I don't think you're going to find a quality guy like Trey Sermon at the end of next year's second round in, in a, even in a super flex rookie draft, will there be guys that you could potentially hit on? Sure. There's guys that you could potentially hit on in every draft class. Um, but I wouldn't, that wouldn't ring my bell. Now, as far as would I buy, if I'm a contender, I like Trey Sermon talent wise, that I'd much rather take a shot on him than a random who could I get. Do I see the 212 or the 208 rising in value between now and next year's rookie drafts? Not so much. A first, yes. First, almost always rise as the draft, the rookie draft gets closer and people get rookie fever, but a second or a third or a combination of a undervalued player that doesn't have us or an overvalued player that doesn't have anywhere near the, the uh, talent pedigree, I'd absolutely take that shot. And a couple of historical things I had jotted down for this. And just to give an indicator on some active guys in the NFL right now, that basically had a red shirt ish rookie year. And these are guys that played. So this isn't, you know, they tore their ACL and they just missed the year. So this these are guys that 
have turned into some level of success currently playing the NFL of day two. James Conner. And again, he was blocked now a little bit situationally behind Le'Veon Bell there. Tevin Coleman, he was also going to a committee situation. Kenyon Drake, he got off to a, a very slow start. Ronald Jones, also off to a very slow start. So these are profiles that turned into successes. Year two through year four, they've done a lot more to get off the schneid as it goes, get off uh, that bad track post year one. And then a couple other guys that were in this same boat that they're looking promising. Daryl Henderson, he was in that same exact bucket. Uh, Damian Harris, same exact bucket of just anemic start. And look where they are now. Lead backs, and you can say that they maybe needed something to get there, something changing situationally on the depth chart, whatever. Uh, some misses historically, we'll see about Keyshawn Vaughn, sort of in that bucket of like, can't even get off uh, get off the start line. Kristen Michael is a notable one that just mired for a long time. Uh, so overall, uh, what I found in the peer group, 23% ended up emerging as a running back one later on. And I think a lot of people would put Sermon's odds way below 23%. And then 36% were, top, were uh, running back two or better. So that's a pretty decent hit rate for a guy that is being traded, like you said, for a later second. If that is the market to sell, you certainly... I'm not a big fan of you invested in the player. Situationally, you can say it sucks, but you kind of got to live in the slop. You got to live sometimes in the ugly. And that doesn't always mean get the ugly off your roster as soon as possible. That that the profile, and we've talked about it before, not every part of your roster has to be contending and productive and breaking out and all these great and graphic things. It doesn't always work like that. Like right now, let's say you got Brian Edwards as your running back, as your, sorry, your wide receiver six. It does like, so he's a younger player. He's not like a weekly starter. So you're dumping him. Like I like, like where is the line of like, oh, well it, it's been too, too, too much time. I, I got to get out of this business. And we're talking about a running back that, you know, if you liked him enough as a prospect, you drafted him. And now you're saying two months in, you're done with him. Like that doesn't make a lot of sense in terms of no career altering injury. No, he's been playing a lot. Like, man, he's got 85 touches and looks horrible. Guy can't play at all. That is not what's happened at all. So that would be my final point there. Of the, we're very early in this, and some of the most of the other guys we talked about have a lot more of a sample size at the NFL. Even Cam Akers, a lot more of a sample size in the NFL than Sermon's had a shake at so far. Uh, what do you think about some final thoughts, Katie, uh, for the week? Just since we're on the running back theme, uh, when it, when it comes to running backs in dynasty, you want to get them organically. You've heard me say that before, which means getting them in the rookie draft. And then have a wide portfolio so that, again, you're never stuck buying high or bailing low. Those can really hurt your dynasty team for a long, long time. So one of my best performing dynasty teams right now is the way that it is because of rookie running backs that are now in year two, year three, putting it together. Not all of them at the same time, but having enough at the position Chuba Hubbard, for example, I got him in a Debbie and now Christian McCaffrey's out for a few weeks. So he's been performing at RB1 numbers until and when I can get another one of my running backs back. So be patient when it comes to running backs. You don't have to have the sexiest names on your roster, but you need a lot of them so that you can continue to fill when you figure out your starting lineup. 
Yeah, what you said. I mean, it's it's like a puzzle. You know, Jordan always uses the analogy that it's puzzle pieces you're just trying to fit together, and every every week is a different story. I mean, look at Devontae Booker, right? I mean, you may not be super excited ever to click Devontae Booker. He's been solid with Saquon Barkley out. Daryl Williams, same thing. Might not be super sexy. Like I know a lot of people uh, for the Monday night game this week were like, oh, is Derek Gore a starter? What's going on here? But guess who was in most of the game? And he he had a bunch of catches. Like he had 15 plus PPR points. And no, he didn't get the touchdown. And no, it might have been not might not have been the uh, most clean game in that regard because uh, the biggest story is Jerry McKinnon. So it's just, you know, so a lot of these spot starting opportunities, you know, of getting these uh, little moments. Khalil Herbert's been huge, you know, for example. Uh, you know, Carlos Hyde might get the start this week, a new name. Uh, we've got a number of plays like that where it's just like spot start here. How is Jeremy McNichols, who's one of the biggest UTH, you know, rostered and ownership plays because he was so cheap over the last couple of years and he was an injury away? The injury occurred. So we'll see about Adrian Peterson. But McNichols, if, if they trail, uh, I can guarantee you he's going to get a truckload of snaps at a minimum when that game starts breaking down. You mentioned Chuba. Uh, so just a number of plays that, like you said, you got to put those puzzle pieces together. And you know some of them are going to be injury away. Some of them are going to be clear-cut starters that you have. And others, like Trey Sermon, could be developmental in terms of let's see what we have in the future or guys that got hurt like Etienne and Akers and Dobbins and Gus Edwards and you know, you just need a lot of them. And because you know what, it's hard to, I'll say this, it's hard to win without them. So if you ignore the position, then that that'll bite you as much as being like, Oh, well, I invested in some guys and they got hurt. And, you know, and, and now I'm starting guys off my waiver wire. Cause you're going to be interested in off the waiver wire too, you know, as, as C fit. That's why, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm like the poster child for saying I, I spent an hour podcasting on running back every single week in those particular shows with running back roundup, just because I think it's so, so important and it changes every single week. And it's been a bloodbath, you know, we're, we're only mid season more to come. Derek Henry is just the latest in that regard. I want to shout out to Keith over there in the UTH best ball contest, taking it down top finish of week eight. He had Jimmy Garoppolo coming off big with his rushing touchdowns. Looking like Sam Darnold out there. Good on Garoppolo. Uh, finding the end zone a couple times there. We mentioned Jay, uh, we mentioned uh, Daryl Henderson earlier in the show. He had one of his best games of the season. He's been a, a revelation. A guy, again, you go back to June. Were you expected to start Daryl Henderson a lot? Probably not. He's given you the entire season a la James Conner a few years ago. Just keeps printing money there. And uh, Cordero Patterson, he's been a big one for everybody in Dynasty. Just a few of those names for Keith to take it down. He's up, uh, I believe, yes, uh, in the top 10 of the contest. We still have the top three as Brett, Brad, and Cameron. And there's starting to be a little bit of separation. If you're not in the top 10, 15, your chances are dwindling. Jordan, unfortunately for us, of the uh, the analysts, if you will, representing uh, there as the highest. He was actually number one for a point in time. He's drifting a little bit, uh, almost 100 points behind, but still in the game. Still a long way to go, as Katie would say, every single year for the contest when she was ahead or creeping up to another win. Uh, was that you know still plenty of time left? And uh, so for everyone high up there in the contest, still plenty of time. And uh, congrats again to Keith. Remind you, if you want to support this show, no advertising, go over to patreon.com slash UTH. Get uh, some exclusive and weekly content there. Tim Torch does a show on the waiver wire, as well as a bunch of bonus shows. I do kind of dump some some thoughts 
um, as well as subscribing at utsdynasty.com, trending towards 300 plus premium shows, get things like the uh, the film notes coming out of Sunday, everything, uh, every play that I watched, which is everything, and then distilling it down to what you need to know that's in your inbox first thing Monday morning every week of the season. Get stuff like running back roundup. And of course, you're just uh, supporting the machinery that is all the audio content rankings uh, that are already updated, by the way. Uh, things like Henry Ruggs coming out today, as well as Derek Henry. All those types of things are updated as soon as humanly, uh, my own human, possible there. For Katie Flower, uh, you can find her between episodes in amidst. And again, if you follow her on Twitter, you're going to get uh, apprised of all of her guest appearances on other shows. She talks to Debbie a lot. She's known as the Divya, Diva of Devi for a reason. And uh, yeah, and, and you know what, Katie, in the next like month or so, we're probably we're probably set to do a 22 mock draft or something, something in the look ahead fashion. You know, get our get our our uh, college college game on there uh, for for having another one of those mock drafts or something. But you can follow Can't her on wait. Twitter. Yeah, uh, for the uh, for all that conversation, as I mentioned, you got questions. Hit her up at ff underscore skyler three ninety nine. I am at Chad Parsons NFL. And until next time, never settle. Refuse to be average. And keep building those statistics. No, I could care less about other people. I want the comfort for myself. <laughs> <laughs>